Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Beyond Meat second quarter 2019 conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen only mode. Later, we'll connect a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require operator assistance during the call, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this call may be recorded. I would now like to introduce your host for today's conference, Ms. Katie Turner. You may begin. Thank you. Good afternoon, and welcome to Beyond Meat's second quarter 2019 earnings conference call and webcast. On today's call are Seth Goldman, Executive Chair, Ethan Brown, Founder, President, and Chief Executive Officer, and Mark Nelson, Chief Financial Officer and Treasurer. By now, everyone should have access to the company's second quarter earnings press release. And second quarter Form 10Q filed today after market close. These documents are available on the investor section of Beyond Meat's website at www.beyondmeat.com. Before we begin, please note that all financial information presented on today's call is unaudited, and during the course of this call, management may make forward looking statements within the meaning of the federal securities laws. These statements are based on management's current expectations and beliefs and involve risks and uncertainties. That could cause actual results to differ materially from those described in these forward looking statements. Please refer to the second quarter 10Q, the company's registration statement on Form S1 filed today, and other filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission for a detailed discussion of the risk that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in any forward looking statements made today. Please note on today's call, management will refer to adjusted EBITDA, which is a non GAAP financial measure. While the company believes this non GAAP financial measure provides useful information for investors, the presentation of this information is not intended to be considered in isolation or as a substitute for the financial information presented in accordance with GAAP. Please refer to today's release for a reconciliation of adjusted EBITDA to its most comparable measure prepared in accordance with GAAP. And now I'd like to turn the call over to Seth Goldman, Executive Chair. Thank you, Katie, and good afternoon, everyone. We appreciate you joining us for our quarterly earnings call. Today, Ethan will briefly review our second quarter financial and operational highlights and reiterate the key reasons we believe Beyond Meat is well positioned for long term growth in the U.S. and globally. Mark will then review our financial results in more detail, discuss our raised annual outlook, and reiterate our long term financial targets. After that, we'll open it up for questions. We are very pleased with our strong second quarter financial results. At Beyond Meat, we have made meaningful investments to build a revolutionary business as we expand in the U.S. and multiple markets internationally. While this approach requires strong investment in the short term, we believe it creates the foundation for us to leverage and scale in the medium to long term. We believe Beyond Meat is well positioned for growth in the U.S. and internationally. Now, before I turn things over to Ethan and Mark, 
I would like to take a moment to highlight several members of our talented and passionate team who play a critical role in delivering our results. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Today, I want to recognize several leaders and their teams who have been doing remarkable work to make our dream a reality. The crown jewel of Beyond Meat is our team of scientists, engineers, and chefs led by our chief innovation officer, Dr. Darush Ajami. Before joining our team, Darush worked at Scripps Research Institute, specializing in molecular assembly and drug discovery. His team at the Manhattan Beach Research Project combines the scientific disciplines of biology, chemistry, physics, material sciences, and engineering with culinary expertise. Their relentless efforts to continually innovate and improve our products are one of the main reasons our products have been so warmly received in the marketplace. But the products our innovation team develops don't make it onto the shelves of our retailers and the menus of our food service partners without our sales team. And that's why we were glad to have Chuck Muth as our chief growth officer. Chuck started his early sales work as a Coca-Cola truck driver and went on to help build great beverage brands over the next 30 years. He has done a fabulous job challenging and inspiring his team to compete at the highest level while also empowering them to own the results of their work. Of course, before Chuck can sell our products, we need to manufacture them. And it is one thing to figure out how to manufacture a new and novel product like plant-based protein, but it is entirely another thing to create the scale needed to support our growth, which makes the work done by our operations team, led by our senior vice president, Stephanie Pullings Hart, critical to our success. Stephanie's background includes 23 years of international operations work at Nestle, and she and her team have been doing remarkable work. And of course, there are inherent challenges that come with this pace of growth. It means adding new suppliers and production facilities. But we know there is nothing more important to our business than consistently providing safe and delicious plant-based meats. So we are fortunate to have Kelly Wilson as our Vice President of Quality Assurance and Regulatory Compliance. Kelly previously worked for major animal meat producers such as Nyman Ranch and Conagra, and her tremendous experience, toughness, and discipline have been invaluable as Kelly and her team work to ensure we uphold the quality standards consumers demand. Finally, I want to recognize the two individuals joining me on the call today, Ethan and Mark. It takes a strong and visionary leader to attract and manage a team of this caliber. Ethan brings a rare combination of bold and confident vision of the future combined with the humility and urgency about the work. While Ethan pushes for high performance across every aspect of the business, Mark has worked to instill a focus on driving us toward profitability while also ensuring we maintain robust financial controls. Overall, we remain focused on delivering top-line growth and pursuing our mission to create nutritious, plant-based meats that taste delicious and deliver a consumer experience that is indistinguishable from that provided by animal-based meats. And now, I'd like to turn the call over to our founder and CEO, Ethan Brown. Thank you, Seth, for that generous introduction. On behalf of all of us at Beyond Meat, we appreciate your steadfast contributions, your leadership, and support. We are pleased to report very strong second quarter operational and financial progress. In the second quarter, we continue to experience robust, broad-based momentum and remain excited about the enthusiasm from customers and consumers alike for Beyond Meat's plant-based meat products. During the second quarter, we expanded our sales in both retail and food service channels domestically and abroad, continue to invest in and realize the benefits of our innovation program while growing our supply chain and operations capabilities. We believe our momentum demonstrates the mainstream consumers' increasing appetite for our plant-based meats. In fact, according to a recent statistic from NPD Group, when dining out, 95% of the people who are purchasing plant-based burgers are also consumers of beef burgers. This speaks to the broad-based relevancy of the plant-based meat movement and complements our brand-specific data. We are seeing consumers envelop our brand in a broader movement that they are leading. We believe this movement is imbued with an enthusiasm for a future where meat has been separated from animals and one where the consumer can enjoy meat absent emerging concerns they may have regarding its health, environmental, or animal welfare impact. This consumer movement parallels our own thinking, where in the tradition of American ingenuity, we are taking a good, in this case meat, and seeking to make it better through persistent innovation. With this context, I'd like to now turn to the numbers and execution of our growth strategy. 
Net revenue for the second quarter increased 287% compared to the second quarter of last year. We also saw positive trends in our key profit metrics. Gross profit margin increased nearly 1,900 basis points year over year and over 700 basis points sequentially. Importantly, we also reported our first quarter of positive adjusted EBITDA as we continue to scale our business with improved operating leverage and increased overall production efficiencies. As we progress through the balance of 2019 and begin 2020, our team remains focused on three key growth pillars. First and foremost, innovation drives our company. We center on innovation as a foundational vehicle for expanding market share. As we've spoken about before, the Beyond Meat Rapid and Relentless Innovation Program reflects a company DNA that is constantly seeking to close the gap between our plant-based products and that of our true north, animal-based meats, while also tackling new and longer-term product forms in our core categories of beef, pork, and poultry. In Q2, we released two notable products by the Beyond Meat Rapid and Relentless Innovation Team. Specifically, we were pleased to begin distribution of the newest version of the Beyond Burger. This latest iteration, which can be identified by a call-out even meatier on its package, has an improved mouthfeel, a more nuanced beef taste and aroma, a better color transition during cooking, and a strong protein score due to the combination of amino acids from peas, mung bean, and brown rice. Additionally, we launched Beyond Beef, a one-pound pack of plant-based ground beef. This product is a challenging initiative given diverse consumer uses for traditional animal-based ground beef and our desire to match this versatility. Even as we further work to close gaps, we are pleased to report an overwhelmingly positive response to the product as consumers use Beyond Beef for such diverse applications as taco meat, meatballs, lasagna, meatloaf, and burgers, among others. We are also encouraged to see early data indicating Beyond Beef is largely incremental to our Beyond Burgers. Second, we are using our first mover advantage to drive continued expansion in both retail and food service channels. Today, we have achieved broad distribution across more than 53,000 points of sale worldwide. This is up from about 30,000 points of sale at the time of our IPO just three months ago. We are expanding offerings at existing retail and food service partners, as well as increasing velocities. It is gratifying to see, for instance, Del Taco expand from its initial offering of Beyond Tacos to its new Beyond Burrito menu items, and to see Tim Hortons add the Beyond Burger to its menu, following the successful launch of Beyond Breakfast Sausage, among other examples. These and many other forward-leaning partners are listening to the consumer, providing the consumer with expanded choice, and in turn, being rewarded by the consumer. As a company, we deeply appreciate each and every partner who's leaned in and launched with us. In every case, no matter the size, we try very hard to make sure that in partnership we delight their customers, help them attract new ones, and enable more and more consumers to enjoy their favorite meals, now plant-based, and do so where they're accustomed to eating. Given its recency and significance, it is worth noting the new Duncan partnership is a reminder of our brand promise. The Beyond Breakfast Sausage Patty, like those at A&W and Tim Hortons, delivers on our value proposition of enabling consumers to eat what they love while providing nutritional wins. Specifically, the Beyond Breakfast Sausage Patty provides great taste and a satiating experience while delivering 10 grams of protein, zero cholesterol, 50% less fat, 44% less saturated fat, and 37% less sodium compared to a traditional breakfast sausage patty on an ounce-per-ounce ounce basis. And finally, third, we remain focused on increasing sales velocity and product availability. For example, Beyond Burger sales across all spins channels are up 177% in units and 181% in dollars for the 12 weeks ending June 19, 2019, versus a year ago. In retail, we continue to add to store count, including outside the United States. For example, in Canada, we are proud to share new retail availability in Loblaws, Sobeys, and Metro. While on the retail front in Europe, we've added Del Hayes, Albert Hein, Migros, Co-op, and Rema, among others. Currently, Beyond Meat products are available in 51 countries, and we will be actively expanding that footprint over the near and long term. Before closing, 
I'd like to share a perspective on two important areas. One, we are often asked if we have sufficient capacity to meet escalating demand. Our answer remains that we are and have been on a sustained investment campaign around infrastructure and personnel necessary to grow and operate a global protein company. To this end, in the second quarter, we added new manufacturing lines, continued our efforts to secure a sufficient and diverse protein supply to support future growth, and grew our operations and quality teams. Two, I'd like to share my own thoughts about the process of bringing me to the center of the plate. It is my hope that as a company, we are helping consumers to understand that there are at least two processes, both of which begin with the same inputs. At a high level, the traditional approach is to run plant material in the form of feed or grasses along with water through an animal. The animal's biology works from the digestive tract through to the muscular system to convert these inputs to muscle, which is then harvested for meat in processing facilities. At Beyond Meat, also at a high level, our process is to start with the same inputs, plant material, from which we gather protein, lipids, trace minerals and vitamins, and combined with water, run these through our system of heating, cooling, pressure, and mixing to build meats directly from plants. Along the way, we offer the consumer transparency. They are welcome to visit our production facilities in Missouri to learn more about how we build meat. It is my belief they will leave inspired and with a stronger understanding that what comes to meat is not a question of process or not, but rather which process they prefer. In summary, we've entered the latter half of 2019 intensely focused on our innovation path, growing distribution domestically and internationally, and investing in infrastructure and personnel throughout operations to continue along with the consumer on this exciting journey that we believe is the future of protein. I'd like to now turn the call over to Mark Nelson, our Chief Financial Officer, who will walk us through our second quarter financial results in detail. Thank you, Ethan, and good afternoon, everyone. We are very pleased with our second quarter financial results and the opportunities for growth ahead. As Ethan indicated, net revenue in the quarter was $67.3 million, up 287% compared to the second quarter last year. As I mentioned on our Q1 call, we expected the second quarter to be one of our seasonally strongest quarters of the year in terms of net revenues and profit contribution based on the summer grilling season, as well as product innovation launches and new food service distribution expansion. This strong start gives us confidence in our net revenues expectation for the year, which we now expect to exceed $240 million in 2019, representing a year-over-year growth rate in excess of 170% compared to 2018. Growth in net revenues for the second quarter of 2019 was driven primarily by an increase in sales of the Beyond Burger, expansion in the number of retail and food service points of distribution, including new strategic customers, as well as greater demand from our existing customers. From a distribution channel perspective, retail net revenues increased 192%, while restaurant and food service net revenues increased 483% versus the second quarter of 2018. The significant increase in our restaurant and food service sales volume drove our net revenues through this channel to represent 49% of our net revenues in the quarter. On the product side, gross revenues for our fresh platform increased 348% versus the year ago period representing 92% of our gross revenues for the second quarter of 2019, compared to 77% of gross revenues compared to the second quarter of 2018. Gross revenues for our frozen platform increased 25% year-over-year, despite the discontinuation of our frozen chicken strip product line during the first quarter of 2019. We remain focused on expanding distribution across retail and food service channels and increasing sales velocity of our fresh products. Gross profit was $22.7 million, 
or 33.8% of net revenues in the second quarter of 2019, compared to 2.6 million or 15% of net revenues in the second quarter of last year. The 20.1 million increase in gross profit and nearly 1,900 basis point improvement in gross margin was due primarily to an increase in the amount of products sold, resulting in operating leverage and production efficiency improvements. A greater proportion of revenues from our fresh platform products also contributed to the improvement in gross margin. Going forward over the next several years, we continue to expect that gross profit improvements will be delivered primarily through improved volume leverage, greater internalization of our manufacturing footprint, materials and packaging input cost reductions, tolling fee efficiencies, and improved supply chain logistics and distribution costs. Income from operations in the second quarter of 2019 was 2.2 million compared to loss from operations of 7.3 million in the second quarter of the prior year. This improvement was driven entirely by the year-over-year -year increase in net revenues and the resulting increase in gross profit, partially offset by higher operating expenses to support the company's expanded manufacturing and supply chain operations, higher administrative costs associated with being a public company, and continued investment in our innovation and marketing capabilities. Net loss was 9.4 million in the second quarter of 2019, compared to a net loss of 7.4 million in the prior year period. The expanded net loss was primarily the result of 11.7 million in non-cash expense associated with the remeasurement of our preferred and common stock warrant liabilities in conjunction with our initial public offering in May of 2019. In the second quarter, our weighted average common shares outstanding, basic and diluted, was 39.1 million, which reflects a time-weighted average of both pre- and post-IPO share counts. As of June 29, we had 60.2 million shares of common stock outstanding, reflecting new share issuance and preferred shares conversion in conjunction with our May IPO, as well as warrant and option exercises since the IPO. Adjusted EBITDA was 6.9 million in the second quarter of 2019, compared to an adjusted EBITDA loss of 5.6 million in the second quarter of 2018. The improvement in adjusted EBITDA was primarily the result of our strong revenue growth and resulting gross margin in the quarter. Looking ahead, although we do expect to have a net loss in accordance with GAAP, we now expect our adjusted EBITDA to be positive for the full year of 2019 compared to our prior expectations of break-even adjusted EBITDA for 2019. Additionally, while we do not provide quarterly guidance, we do expect Q2 and Q3 to represent the strongest net revenue and profit contribution quarters of the year, with Q3 contributing somewhat more from a net revenue perspective relative to Q2. Now shifting to our capital structure, the company's cash and cash equivalent balance was $277 million and total debt outstanding was 30.5 million as of June 29, 2019. Net cash used in operating activities was 22.4 million for the six months ended June 29, compared to 12.7 million for the prior year period. Capital expenditures totaled 7.5 million for the six months ended June 29, compared to 10 million for the prior year period. Net proceeds from our IPO have been invested in short-term interest-bearing investment-grade securities, and there has been no material change from the expected use of net proceeds from our IPO as described in our registration statement on Form S-1.
Also, as you may have seen, today we filed a registration statement on Form S-1 with the SEC and issued a press release announcing a follow-on offering, principally comprised of sales by our existing shares, by our pre-IPO stockholders, and with a small number of shares to be offered by the company. Please refer to the press release and Form S-1 for more information about that offering. Due to regulatory requirements, we won't be answering any questions about the offering during our Q&A session. With that, I'll now turn the call back over to Ethan. <clears throat> Thank you, Mark. In conclusion, we are very pleased with the results for the second quarter and for the first half of 2019. Going forward, we believe Beyond Meat has significant momentum and our team looks forward to continuing to update you on our progress in the coming quarters. With this, I'd like to turn it over to the operator for questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press the star, then the number one key on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Our first question comes from Ken Goldman with JP Morgan. Your line is now open. Hi, thank you. Um, two questions for me. Uh, first, during your IPO roadshow, you highlighted a sort of an ultimate but rough gross margin target of 35%. I don't know if that's still your level that you're looking for, but you're fairly close to it right now. Uh, but Mark, you had talked about some gross margin drivers ahead. So how do we think about that? Has the gross margin bar been raised, or are you thinking, look, these are tailwinds to our gross margin going forward, but we'll offset that maybe with some price investments? I just want to get a better sense of how you're thinking about some of the tailwinds and headwinds for that line item. Yeah, hey Ken. Um, you know, we we had a really good result on margin for the quarter. We were pleased with uh, the gross profit level uh, and gross margin. Uh, we were looking uh, at that kind of that mid 30s, mid to high 30s is still a reasonable target for us. Uh, one of the the, the goals is to um, you know, drive the pricing for the product uh, to get to parity on some of the products with animal protein. So that's been uh, something that we've looked to as we've uh, matured as pricing goes. But, you know, we, we do feel comfortable with that mid to high 30 longer term pricing target uh, and gross margin target for us. And um, that's still a very valid target. Okay, thank you for that. And then second question, um, Ethan, you know, so many restaurants are adding, as you know, better than anyone, alternative meat to the menu. But, you know, some of the world's biggest QSRs still haven't done anything of size on that front. Uh, and I guess I'm curious, does it surprise you at this point with so much evidence that consumers are willing to pay for this product, plant-based meat, right, that at least one of those huge QSRs is still on the sideline? Just wanted to get your thoughts there. Sure. Thank you, Ken. Um, so I, I do think it's a function of just the size and complexity of some of the largest, most global uh, QSRs out there. I think it's going to take them time to figure out how to integrate into their menu and their operations. Um, so it doesn't necessarily surprise me. Um, I think that the intent is certainly there, um, and it's just a question of allowing the process to play out. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And our next question comes from Brian Spillaney with Bank of America. Your line's now open. Hey, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, just a, a couple of questions for me. Uh, I guess the first one, um, can you, Ethan, can you give us any uh, sort of color on where you stand today uh, on service levels out of stocks? Um, you know, just trying to get a sense for um, – for you know, kind of where you stand today as 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 businesses ramped up in the in the summer selling season. Sure. Hi, Brian. Thank you for the question. Um, so you know, as, as you know, in 17 and 18, uh, we really did uh, experience some some shortages uh, during the peak seasons, and so we uh, you know launched, as I mentioned in my comments, a really sustained uh, investment program, uh, not only in operations but in quality. Uh, both personnel and infrastructure to to make sure that didn't happen again. And I'm I'm very pleased to report that you know this summer we really haven't experienced anything close to what we did in 17 and 18. Uh, in fact, uh, between Q1 and Q2, uh, despite the uh, significant increase uh, in demand associated with the you know, peak grilling season, our fill rates actually went up quite a bit. Um, and so we we are uh, you know 
seeing some pretty strong fill rates. There will be from time to time um, some very short-lived outages um, on a particular product as we switch from one platform to another, but the, the fill rates are, are I think, uh, you know, very consistent with a high-performing operation to this point. So, so I don't uh, feel the pressure that we did in 17 and 18 on that front. Okay. And then, uh, Mark, just to follow up, I don't know if you gave guidance on capital spending for this year. I might have missed it, but, but uh, could you just update us on CapEx for the year? And then, I guess, given the growth uh, that you're seeing now, uh, as we're thinking about probably more in the next year, uh, will we see potential for, for CapEx to even accelerate more just to, to sort of uh, catch up with the demand? Yeah. So, uh, for 2019, we're still looking at that 20 or so million CapEx number. Um, we still think that's a pretty solid number. For 2020, we're looking at uh, potentially some increased deployment on capital around uh, just some of the production that we do, uh, looking at potentially some of the, the back end, uh, bringing that in-house. Uh, we've, we've talked about that. So uh, we think that capital number maybe uh, in the 35 to 40 million range for 2020. Uh, but uh, we've, you know, had a, a pretty flexible model where a lot of our partners uh, in the back end do uh, the downstream production for us and typically with their assets uh, and their facilities. So it's been capital light. We'll additionally look at uh, increasing uh, options for production internationally. But as you know, some of the partners very similar to the to the model we have now in uh, the contract manufacturing internationally uh, will be similar to how it works in the U.S. So uh, we think that's a pretty fair number in that 35 to 40 million range. For okay, great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Our next question comes from Alexia Howard with Bernstein. Your line is now open. Great. Good evening, everyone. Hey, how are you doing? So two questions from me. Um, you started off with some comments about the uh, the capacity uh, questions. Um, could you maybe just uh, explain to us between raw material procurement, your own in-house production of part of the uh, the production process, and then your relationship with the co-packers? Where would you say the bottleneck really is? And if it's with the if it's with the co-packing relationships, how quickly can that um, capacity be reasonably uh, expanded over time? Um, that would be my first question. And the second one is, is quite simply, how do you prioritize new areas of growth? You've obviously got uh, the high-quality problem of having a lot of people demanding your product, but how do you decide which channel, uh, which restaurant chain, which grocer, and what types of products you're going to roll out given the capacity constraints that you have? Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Alexia, very much. Um, so I think you know, just to reiterate the way that our production system is set up, we really have three main buckets of um, focus. Uh, one is the protein and raw materials. Uh, two is the uh, in-house uh, extrusion and, and mixing that we do. Uh, and then three is the, the kind of downstream uh, production partner work that we do where it's in, formed into patties and sausage, et cetera. And so um, in each case, we really have made substantial investment. We feel uh, very comfortable uh, with our protein supply for the balance of the year and into 2020, that there's a comfortable margin there relative to the forecasts. Um, that we're sharing. We also feel that um, more and more um, providers of protein are coming into the market. Established names, including DuPont, et cetera, are getting involved. More separation facilities for protein are being constructed, uh, even domestically here in the U.S. Um, and then finally, more crops are coming in. Uh, so there's more uh, pea coverage occurring uh, now than before. So on the protein uh, supply side, I feel over the last six months, we've made substantial progress in securing uh, what we need. On the extrusion side, uh, we have been very aggressive uh, in ordering and installing new equipment. Uh, we will end the year um, with uh, nearly 100% increase in, in uh, that capacity area. Um, and we're placing additional orders for distribution, uh, potentially internationally as well. And then finally, on the downstream side, our team has been uh, really aggressive and active in signing up new high-quality production partners uh, for um, downstream forming and packaging. So in each case, uh, while those have been historically for us areas of constraints, uh, we've taken the measures to, to alleviate those constraints and build uh, capacity. And again, as I mentioned, that's not to say that 
we will not have some periodic disruption. We're always introducing uh, new iterations of our products. Um, we're introducing new products, uh, and sometimes that will lead to um, changes in lines and things of that nature that may create a temporary shortage in a particular product line. But overall, I feel much differently and much better than I did six months ago uh, regarding each of those three areas. Okay. The second question was around how do we prioritize new growth? And I think if you look at the history of the company, you know, something that we've always tried to do, uh, whether it was with the investment houses that we work with, uh, the venture capital funds we work with, the banks we work with, the, um, the uh, uh, retail uh, customers we work with, or the food service partners, we've always gone for uh, marquee players that are leading the category. So the best example I can give of that uh, early on in the business was I sold you know, directly to Whole Foods and made that a priority uh, very early in the life of the business. I think it was 2009. Um, and as we go into um, food service, you see that as well. Uh, we try to pick the very best partners uh, that we feel um, will help to together grow our brands so that we help them attract new customers uh, and new consumers, uh, and that we help ourselves position our products within the market uh, at places that consumers uh, are traditionally excited to go to. So um, it's a strategy of picking the best partners in each segment. Great. Thank you very much. I'll pass it on. Sure. Thank you. Our next question comes from Robert Moscow with Credit Suisse. Your line is now open. Hi, uh, Ethan. Uh, I was hoping that you could um, maybe help us quantify the extent to which your, your manufacturing capacity has been expanded over the past six months. I mean, I, I think during the IPO, I had it in my head that it was going to be $400 million of capacity by the end of 19. Uh, are you well beyond that now? Um, or maybe you can jump ahead to 2020 and, and give us a number that, that might be higher than where you were in 2020, just to give us a sense of you know, as things keep improving sequentially, that you're you're staying ahead of uh, the demand. Yeah, it's a it's a a, a really as you can imagine um, important priority uh, for me, um, having been through uh, some shortages in the past. It's something that we're constantly focused on. So you're absolutely right. I do challenge the team to get well ahead of of demand, even as demand escalates. And so. Um, yes, the, the 400 in terms of capacity for this year is, is, is well within reach. Um, next year, uh, we, we, we can also bring on uh, you know, additional capacity, whether in the co-packing network or on the extrusion side, uh, that should take us quite a bit higher than that. I'm a little hesitant to give you exact numbers, um, uh, but I think it's, it's, I'm very comfortable saying that there's been significant ads both in uh, internal capacity and in downstream forming and packaging equipment that would take us above and feel quite comfortable about the 2020 forecast. Okay. And just to be clear, the CapEx guide for 2020, uh, 35 to 40 million, that, that is a lot more than the original estimate, right? And it is tied to, uh, is it mostly tied to the, the, the bringing the co-packing in-house or is it other things too? Yeah, it's a big chunk of it. It drove uh, um, more capital. You know, we're still in early phase, the, the, the payback from something like that, internalization of the back end, it, we're starting to look at that as very, very uh, creative. And so we've uh, been considering how we might be able to uh, add capacity while reducing cost altogether in that, in that step. Um, and so it's still early phase and, and looking at that to, to augment what Ethan said, you know, the pursuit of additional contract manufacturers continues, you know, we continue to qualify and Work to qualify additional commands because that uh, it'll be a blended approach as we as we look to the future. And can I ask one more question? Have you had any consumer response for Beyond uh, 2.0? Uh, has anyone uh, gotten back to you saying that this is this is a lot better, or right. I like the old formula, or anything like that? Well, thank you for the question. It's it's been uh, really a pleasant um, and gratifying experience to see the consumer reaction to 2.0. We worked so hard on it. It, it, it really, you know, kind of things we tried to approach with, as I mentioned in the um, uh, uh, introduction, you know, really around mouthfeel and, and the aroma and taste, making it more nuanced and subtle. Um, all of those things, I think, did 
get recognized by the consumer. So we have just, you know, there's always going to be an outlier that doesn't like this or that, but but we have seen just enormous uh, positive feedback uh, around the product. Uh, I think it's it's obviously, like I've said before, it's it's not there yet, um, but uh, it's extremely, uh, it's getting closer and closer. So yes, very, very positive feedback. Okay, great. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Our next question comes from John Anderson with William Blair. Your line is now open. Good afternoon. Hi, everybody. Hi, John. Hey, I wanted to stick with um, the new the new formulation for a minute. Um, uh, having tried it myself, I think it's a you know significant leap forward. But uh, you. you know, to Rob's to Rob's question, um, Ethan, how how would you kind of characterize? Um, where that kind of takes you in terms of closing the gap, you know, with animal protein, how much more, you know, opportunity uh, remains ahead and, and does it become more difficult to, to close that, you know, gap from here. And then the second yeah. part of the question is around kind of the ingredient deck and, and, and how important, you know, you feel or you, you've heard from consumers and customers, you know, the kind of the clean ingredient deck that that you have and i'm thinking about things like um you know gmo and soy etc and how important that is to um you know an animal protein uh consuming customer thanks yeah okay both uh very good questions so I'll, I'll preface my response by just reiterating that i am probably our toughest critic um you know i i i think it's it's quite a bit further uh in the direction of our true north which is animal protein but at the same time, acknowledge we have miles to travel. Um, I'd say it's maybe 75% of the way there. And how hard that 25% is, it is going to be harder. But at the same time, you know, we are really, really building a tremendous database and set of expertise um, that I think is unparalleled uh, around how to use all natural ingredients from plants and from the plant kingdom globally to construct meat directly uh, from plants. And so. Um, well, it, well it, you know, that, that last 25% stretch or 30% stretch, wherever you want to put it at, uh, will be more difficult. We also have uh, tools and expertise and capabilities that, that are giving us, I think, a lot of enthusiasm for closing uh, that final stretch. Um, on the ingredient deck itself, I think it's vital. Um, you know, this gets back to uh, understanding your consumer, uh, it, uh, the relationship with the consumer, um, you know, it comes back to our own families. Uh, you know, my own family eats a lot of our products. Um, you know, what does, you know, mom uh, feel comfortable serving her children? Um, and I think you complicate the message uh, by including things like genetic modification, artificial ingredients, um, uh, soy that, you know, has questions around its um, origin and, and what's, what's in it. So I think all of those things we have right, uh, correctly stayed away from, um, and it's helped us to access the broadest base of consumers. You know, it, it's you, what you're trying to do is educate consumers that there's a way to produce meat that doesn't involve an animal. Uh, you don't want to burden yourself with a secondary uh, education message around uh, specifically what the ingredients are. So the simpler and cleaner the ingredient list, the better, and we're constantly striving in that direction. Okay, if I can ask one follow-up. Um, sure. When you think about the, the protein sources, uh, obviously, you know, pea being the, the primary source historically, um, as you think about the business longer term, is it important to diversify? Are you working on diversifying your sources of protein? You know, and, and kind of what benefits do you think, you know, will, will that allow you to kind of accrue over time, whether it be getting the cost down and, and sharper pricing at retail, et cetera? Yeah, no, these are these are great questions, and 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 like the capacity question, this is one that's constantly top of mind uh, for me, and it's important for a number of reasons. Uh, one is just the diversification of supply uh, and the the ability to exert pricing pressure, uh, build in redundancy, et cetera. But to be honest, that's probably um, to me a, almost a secondary consideration. Uh, one of the most important considerations is really continues to be around pleasing the consumer. Um, and if you, if you think about the way mom shops or dad shops on a weekend uh, for the family, uh, you know, they're not buying a particular protein in, in six, or def, six or seven different form factors. They're buying pork, they're buying uh, beef, they're buying you know, uh, turkey, chicken, et cetera. So for us to credibly take a very, very long run uh, and, and broad run at the meat case, we need to offer the consumer that same diversity. So I think if you look ahead five years, 
from now you'll see you know uh, sausage from us uh, that has different proteins. Uh, you know maybe one uh, sausage will be offered with lentil protein, the other with you know lupin or camelina. Uh, you know you can kind of name your source, but when you start to think about the plant kingdom as a source of protein, uh, they're really just almost an endless number of crops that you can pull it from. And there's fascinating science going on in the area about you know, which crops can yield the highest uh, scores of amino acids and, and you know, not through genetic modification, but through breeding, how you get there. And so I think we're just scratching the surface of an amazing journey in agriculture to, to grow protein directly for human consumption. And I think it's really important that as a company, Beyond Meat um, leads that charge in bringing new proteins to the market. So if you look at for example, what we're able to do with our breakfast sausage. I'm very proud of that product because I think it points in the direction of, of where we're headed for the future. You know, it not only has um, you know pea protein in it, but it has mung bean protein, brown rice protein, and sunflower seed protein. Um, that's really the way to do this. You get a lot of benefits, uh, not only in the supply chain, uh, but you get consumer um, satisfaction with that in terms of having a more diverse supply of protein. But importantly, you also get a, a pretty big win on the uh, PDCAS score, which is the measure of protein quality in the human body. And so in that case, when you're combining uh, amino acids from different sources like that, you're able to uh, craft an amino acid score that actually exceeds that, in some cases, uh, the pork equivalent. So if you look at our latest breakfast sausage, that actually has more protein in it, ounce per ounce, than, than, its, protein, than its animal protein equivalent. So lots ahead for us on that front. Thanks so much for all the color. Appreciate it. Sure. Yep. yep. Thanks for the question. Our next question comes from Kevin Grundy with Jeffries. Your line's now open. Hey, everyone. Uh, and congrats on the strong quarter. Thank you. Uh, question, uh, Ethan, around um, some key metrics, awareness, household penetration, pe uh, repeat purchase rates for your products. Um, so how, how are you seeing those data points progress? What, what are you targeting longer term? Where do you feel like you're getting the best ROI on investment to improve upon uh, these metrics today? Maybe you could share some of those learnings uh, in, in those areas. And, and last on this topic, uh, are you seeing a meaningful difference with respect to repeat purchase rates of your products and food service versus retail? And then I have a couple follow-ups. Thanks. Sure. Okay. So let me just take those in, in sequence. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of really good metrics that we have available to us now on, on just overall growth of the business. I'll, I'll spin through some of those and then maybe get to some of the areas that are a little bit harder to tease out. Um, so if you look at um, SPINS data, for example, for the burger, um, you know, we're up 177% in, uh, in, in units over the second quarter a year ago, up 181% in dollars uh, second quarter over a year ago. Our velocity, and this is really, this one is amazing to me, our velocity is up 140%. Uh, over a year ago um, uh, for the burger, according to SPINS data. Um, you know, so much of this growth is, is being driven by, by volume, uh, both in terms of the number of points of distribution, uh, but also in, um, in, in that increased velocity. If you look at um, just our, our store count alone, going from 30,000 to 53,000, um, you're seeing a pretty even split between retail and food service. Retail at about 27,000 locations, uh, food service about 26,000. Um, on the repeat data, um, you know, we, we don't necessarily have fresh data on that. It's a, I think we shared this last time that with the Beyond Burger, it's at about 40% uh, repeat. I'm very curious to see what that number is. I'm curious around two numbers uh, around the new uh, 2.0 because I do think it's a much improved product. Uh, one is the uh, is a repeat and see whether that's going to rise, and so we'll do some uh, spend on that to, to figure that one out. Um, and then second is just the overall velocity of that. Are we going to see an increase in velocity? Uh, based on that improved, uh, you know, that innovation there. Um, so, you know, overall, uh, we're seeing very, very strong trends. In terms of the investment, one of the things that I'd really like to see is these, is these, these the, the partnerships we form uh, with these food, food service organizations that I mentioned in my introductory comments are really meaningful and important. And so to, to jump in with them and do uh, co-marketing, uh, support their marketing, you know, I just went, uh, actually, I've been twice today to Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> it's right down the street. Um, and uh, I've had a couple of coffees and, and uh, a few uh, few sausage. And, um, you know, their, their personnel are, are wearing our shirts. The signs are everywhere. And, you, you know, uh, and, you know I, I love our product. And I support a customer. I was at Del Taco quite a bit this weekend. And same thing. They're wearing our shirts. They, they've got, you know, our... Uh, our signage up, same with Carl's Jr. You go up into Canada, a and it's important, the same. So that, in my view, is really where you're going to get the best bang for your buck because, you know, we, we really have a campaign around, you know, tasting is believing. And, man, it's easy to really believe once you go into one of those places. The way they're preparing the product, 
uh, you know, I think is really well done. It's a place that people are familiar with eating. So in terms of investment, I find that to be uh, a pretty compelling case. Um, okay. Yep. Okay. I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you have something else to, to add? No. no, I just wanted to make sure I was being... Uh, no, that's all helpful, Carl. I appreciate it. I'll throw in two two quick ones and just kind of group them together. So, Ethan, can you on competitively? Uh, it's been topical, although seemingly quieted down a bit. Uh, the potential for impossible to enter U.S. retail. How you're thinking about the risk and the potential timeline? Maybe we can get your updated thoughts on that. And then, Mark, just housekeeping on the guidance. So, EBITDA now up a bit less than five million year to date. Um, you didn't put a number on it, but now you expect it to be positive. Maybe you can talk a little bit, drill down a little bit on how you're thinking about EBITDA and margin progression in the back half of the year so we kind of have a better sense on uh, on, on how to quantify uh, our, our models here for EBITDA. Thank you. Yep, sure. So on the um, question about competition, you know, I think, um, you know, I actually really do believe this answer. I mean, in terms of just people say it all the time, but I think there's real truth to it. You know, it's a $1.4 trillion industry, you know, getting more players in that are that are willing to market and tell the story, uh, I think is really important. Um, you know, we like competition. Uh, we particularly like it when we're winning. But I think overall, you know, competition keeps everybody sharp. Um, in terms of in terms of a particular company entering um, uh, retail, uh, we just stay focused on what we're doing. And, and I'll tell you, I'm not sure that we're all selling to the same customer, uh, same consumer rather. So if you think about what our value proposition is, you know, we, we're building meat direction plants. We're, 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 our promise to the consumers are going to make it indistinguishable at some point, uh, and that we're getting closer and closer. Um, that we listen to what they want in terms of ingredients. Uh, and so, you know, we've really stayed away from genetic modification, anything artificial, you know, uh, soy, et cetera, in, in recent years. And so um, that, I think, appeals to uh, a very broad set of consumers. Now, you are going to have some that are very comfortable with GMOs, but a lot that aren't, right? So there's going to be a division within consumers of who's, who's buying what kind of product. Then you look at other companies like Tyson or Purdue and others that are maybe considering these blended products. And so that'll appeal to, to a particular type of consumer. So I feel very good about our strategy uh, as, as new entrants come, in, come into the market. We've got you know, tremendous lead in terms of distribution, uh, in terms of brand awareness. Um, and I think our innovation you know, is only going to get better. So I'm, I, you know, I, I recognize there's competition out there, but I'm also really eager to, to compete. So, Kevin, yeah, to really uh, reiterate on the, the EBITDA um, uh, guidance that we gave, you know, we think, you know, positive EBITDA, that kind of, you know, bracket as we as we start to scale up, we're going to see some of the benefit really dropping through. You can see Q1 to Q2 dropped almost uh, twice the, the gross profit dollars at these volume levels. That really starts to, to drop through the model, as you saw, uh, very, very strong quarter with that gross profit performance, um, uh, and you know, EBITDA, as you know, uh, adds back for things like that warrant remeasurement expense that we had in the quarter. Uh, it's a non-cash item anyway, but um, you know that, in sum, for us uh, to be at a 10% EBITDA margin in the quarter was very, very strong performance. I think it really highlights the the true profitability that we're starting to to achieve here. Um, Sequentially, Q3, we, um, you know, Q2, Q3 are the stronger quarters for us. We think we're going to have uh, slightly better in, in, in Q3. Uh, and at these volume levels, we'll s still see this gross profit um, drop through. Uh, for the year, you know, the, the fourth quarter, probably seasonally a little lighter for us. Um, uh, and, and that, you know, that volume uh, drop through as well may not be as strong. But, um, you know, this is a new plateau of, of profitability for us, I think, as you look at gross profit, uh, positive operating income in the second quarter. Uh, that's, that's a very strong achievement for us as well. Um, and I think these are going to continue to help uh, drive that EBITDA margin for us. Okay. Thank you, guys. Good luck. You very much. Thanks. Again, if you have a question, please press star and then one. Our next question comes from Adam Samuelson with Goldman Sachs. Your line is now open. Uh, yes, thanks. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, was hoping to get uh, a little bit more color on the longer-term investment and, and on the supply chain side, specifically kind of digging more into Rob's question, I guess, and 
I think in the prepared remarks there was an allusion to internalizing kind of some of the supply chain. And I think I guess that was in relation to some of the co-packing. But given the capital kind of on the balance sheet, given the growth ahead of you, do you see a point in time, whether it's 21, 22, 2020, where where you have to start reaching a decision point on vertically integrating more more production, whether that's raw material procurement, uh, co-packing, um, or you start reaching a point where you at minimum need a bigger production base than what you have in Missouri, uh, and I have a follow-up on the guidance. Sure. So, so I think it's a it's a foregone conclusion that we'll, we'll continue to to expand our footprint in, in Missouri. We we are adding significant square footage in the next year there. Um, you know, I also think that um, if you look at our own modeling of production, that there are cost savings available to us through. Um, continuous lines um, that are that are significant. That said, you know there are benefits to this model of uh, both you know segmenting the, the the production of the protein and fat matrix and and, and uh, that system within our own house and then and then allowing the forming and packing to occur outside. So we'll probably always have a blend of those two approaches and and just on you know that balance of of, of um, you know capital requirement and. Um, and the speed at which we can bring on, uh, um, uh, you know, our own production facilities versus uh, where the demand is and the need for, for external uh, partners will, will drive that mix. But I think, you know, as you've heard me speak about, um, we are very committed to this notion of in at least one category with one important product within five years or less, being able to underprice animal protein. And, and I see internal production uh, as a as a significant path in that direction. But that said, we have a lot of really good partners, and they are on this journey with us. Um, and so they're they're making modifications to their own system. So I think it's too early to tell whether we're going you know, strongly uh, in one direction versus the other. I think hybrid is probably the best answer right now. Mark, on if you want to add to that. Oh, okay. Um, and then, and then appreciate the color. And then just following up on, on the guidance, I think the revenue guidance went up about 30, or the baseline went up 30 million from from last quarter. And just to any any color, I presume, I believe last quarter Tim Hortons was not in the guidance, and so presumably it's the inclusion of Tim Hortons and Duncan is kind of the bigger distribution gains that are that are now in the guidance, but just where expectations from a channel perspective have, have exceeded your own, um, any color there would be helpful. Yeah, no, it's another, another good question. So, so Tim Hortons uh, is, is in the forecast uh, with respect to the sausage they're offering, but again, uh, to our conservatism, um, we have excluded uh, their, the, the burger uh, from our uh, internal modeling and, and forecast. Uh, because it's still in, in, in what they would refer to as, as uh, LTO or test mode. Um, you know, Duncan is not yet in either because it's still in, in test mode, um, so those would, would be additive. Um, I think some of the things that are really driving um, the, 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 the much stronger results uh, would really be around both the increased distribution more generally as well as this really high velocity number. Um, both of those uh, are, are operating in our favor. Um, so, you know, I think if you look back at the history of our introduction of key partners in food service, my expectation is that that cadence will be followed uh, into the near future, um, but we haven't baked those in to our, to our, to our model yet. Uh, I appreciate uh, the caller. I'll pass it on. Thanks. Great. Thank you. And at this time, I'd like to turn the call back over to Ethan for any closing remarks. Thank you very much. So in closing, I did want to share an experience uh, that we had at our research center in, in Los Angeles, uh, the center we call the Manhattan Beach Project. Uh, Chris Paul, uh, who's a professional basketball player and an investor and advocate for Beyond Meat, uh, along, with his, along with his parents and his broader family, uh, brought 30 or so teenage children to visit with us as part of an education initiative with Club 61, a nonprofit Chris started uh, in honor of his grandfather. The children who come from communities in each of the cities where Chris has played, uh, New Orleans, Los Angeles, and Houston, enjoyed a tour of each of our research facilities and a meal around our new breakfast uh, sausage patty. To see the children quickly grasp the idea that you can and would want to build meat directly from plants and to feel their contagious excitement around glimpsing the future was truly gratifying. But I share this experience to make a point. It was in their enthusiasm that it became clear that there's a broader movement afoot. Not everyone may appreciate it or see it yet, but to the generation represented by these children, 
We are offering them an opportunity to empower themselves to make a difference in their own health, the health of their families and communities, and to make their own statement about their relationship to the earth and the life that we share it with. When the new generation, when the newest generation, finds the disruptive to be intuitive, we know the change is on the way. With Chris's visit that day, we were lucky enough to witness such a moment. So I want to thank each of you for joining this call, for listening to our journey, and we look forward to reporting back to you next quarter. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation in today's conference. This does conclude the program. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.